0: Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet from North Carolina. Hey, this is Christy
1: in my closet from St. Louis.
0: From St. Louis. Okay, got it. <laughs> but you said from North Carolina. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Fine. We never do this. We just were saying this. Like, why can we not get the intro straight? <laughs> God almighty. You know what, too? I really, I'm gonna. See, check our social media. I may have already done this now, but if you're hearing this and you know our tagline, e- record yourself saying it and send it to me because at crimesandclosants at gmail.com. <laughs> Only to really Only send to it do- to best. Do it. <laughs> I want to string a bunch of people together saying our tagline. That's Because right. those you are the real this. listeners, I feel like. If you literally go to the last bitter second of our, of our episodes that's the only time that you can hear that tagline so mm-hmm. I need to, I want to know who you are well yeah I mean it is in our social media maybe we should just take it out no so no can't. it's fine but like if you <laughs> don't hear it every single episode I don't know I, we need to know who you are just record right. yourself saying it we say it a certain way if you know then you know <laughs> maybe we should even, um, if we really like a few, or I
1: don't know, if we get enough, maybe we can just be like, we can edit it into the end of the episode instead of us saying it. Yes. Like, and remember. Yes. And, then,
0: and always remember. Exactly. See, we're spoiling. Yeah. No, oh, whatever. Send it. Anyway. send it in. Gmail. Do it. Do it. Mm-hmm. Or you can Facebook message it or whatever, like video yourself, send it on Instagram. Any of those things, I will accept. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we can figure out how to download the audio. It's true. <laughs> anyway, my husband just had surgery. That's what's happening in my life. Oh my gosh. She's drinking you, a lot. <laughs> if you listen to us regularly, you remember probably me talking about him having surgery in 2020. Right. And so yes. now he is now having another surgery on his knee in 2021. And I am a terrible nurse. Still. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair,
1: you did not go to college to become a nurse. So, <laughs> well,
0: it's true. I also did not go to college to be a good human, apparently, because I go back and forth <laughs> between like the most loving, like, I'll make you whatever you want. I'm so sorry that you're in pain, to like, if you look at me like needy one more time. <laughs> I'm going to flip the table over on you. There's no in-between with me. And I don't know that you ever know really what you're going to get.
1: So, Well, I'm kind of glad that I don't get that side of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd be afraid.
0: I have my limits. And, you know, I approach them quickly and unexpectedly. So,
1: (laughs) well, I pray that things get easier for you.
0: They are getting easier. Very soon. Fine. He's lucky I love him. He is lucky that he is a tall drink of water because <laughs> if not, I'm not really sure he'd be in an episode. <laughs> We'd all be going down. But oh I have a story for you about some people who go down. You do? Yes, they're about to go down in history. Okay, let me tell you about this. That's,
1: okay, I'm, this, I'm, wow, we're I'm ready.
0: Um, are, do you want to talk about something else?
1: No, no. I just I'm snuggled. I'm mean, I gonna snuggled up in my blanket right now and sit back and listen.
0: Get cozy for this bedtime story. Okay. So this case was recommended to us by a listener named Olivia. Oh, hey, Olivia. Sweet name, by the way. It's one of my favorite girl names ever. Mm-hmm. Olivia was so sweet. She's a super sweet listener for us. And she actually has a connection to a person in this case, which I will get to at the end of the story. So stay tuned for that because I really do want to talk about that and Olivia's connection. But thank you, Olivia, for the suggestion. And I'm super excited to tell the story. So this is a story about Brooke Baker. Mm. Okay. Brooke with no E.
1: Oh, oh, that's important, actually.
0: It actually really is. Mm -hmm. I was friends with a person named Brooke Baker in high school. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's not the same person. She had an E. (laughs) mm, (laughs) For sure. I looked her up on Facebook. Okay. So, Brooke, no E, Elizabeth Baker was born on April 24th, 1978 in Vincennes, Indiana. Hey, 20 days after me. (laughs) All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. You were born in 1978 also? Uh, yes. Literally, literally 20, 20 days, days after me. And oh, last Ian, week's you're case. you're with no H.
1: Exactly. I mean, I feel like we're kindred spirits here.
0: Also do. Wow. Also,
1: that's... last week's case started
0: in Indiana. For real. Yeah. And I said that to her, too. I was like, dad, go on the case I'm researching is in Indiana, too. This case stays in Indiana, okay? Okay, all right, all right. And I hope I'm saying Vincent's right. That's how I think it's said, so. Okay. Sure. So, Brooke had very loving parents. She had a younger brother named Braun. Vincent's, where she grew up, was a really small, tight-knit town, mostly, like, agricultural. And Brooke and her family were kind of on the lower-income side of the folks in the town. So they didn't have a lot of things, they didn't have a lot of money, but Brooke had some big dreams and she was extremely smart and from a really young age, she became a very talented writer. In high school, she became involved in her school newspaper and she started doing journalism and it just became her thing really quickly. She loved it. Hmm. After she graduated high school, Brooke was accepted to Vincent's University, which is the oldest public university in the state of Indiana, and right in her hometown. Right, yeah. She's thrilled. Brooke was the first person in her family to go to college. Oh, good for her. I know, right? So she began classes in August of 1996 and majored in journalism. She quickly became involved in the college campus newspaper, which was called the Trailblazer, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and she rolled in there with a mission. Brooke had decided by the time that she went to college that she wanted to be an investigative journalist, which is a whole different animal. She wanted to dive deep into cases that no one else reported on, nobody else covered, and she wanted to expose The truth, the real, real. Wow, I know. Does that remind you of anybody? (laughs) Not at all. We we are definitely not investigative journalists. (laughs) No, 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 for sure. But we like these little, little. We would love to
1: uh, read her stuff.
0: (laughs) Ah, so true. Okay, Mm -hmm. so her ultimate goal was to one day work for Rolling Stone. Oh, fun. Okay, I know. Right, I read Rolling Stone. At the beach specifically. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I hoard Rolling Stone. No, that's not true. I have a friend who gets Rolling Stone magazines and she saves them for me and gives me 12 copies of Rolling Stone magazines (laughs) when I go to the beach every single year. And I read every single one cover to cover. I freaking love them. So there's that.
1: That's interesting. I don't think I've ever read a
0: Rolling Stone. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I should mail you my beach ones. (laughs) So while she was at college, Brooke was staying with one of her good friends, Jason, and some of his friends, Uh, like other boys that he lived Mm -hmm. with. Jason was in one of the campus fraternities, which was kind of a big thing on this campus. And Brooke's kind of hanging out with this crowd, right? Like Jason, his friends, which are frat brothers. And she gets wind of a rape that allegedly happened at one of the fraternity parties, By some of the frat members. And that it was being covered up. Or kind of shushed. By the powers that be. So this particular fraternity. Happened to be the highest profile frat house. On the campus. So of course. It was right. The highest profile one. Is covering up the. Mm -hmm. You know. And that's not the
1: same ones. That she's hanging out with. She's with like a different fraternity
0: so that's actually not clear I don't know if her friend Jason was in the same fraternity there are some accounts that say he was in the same fraternity but then there's also some that say he was just a member of a frat so I don't I would lean more towards he probably was in the Mm, same one because I think more of them say that but I I don't know there's it doesn't specifically say in everything so Brooke Obviously thinks that this is extremely interesting and she wants to know more about it. And being an investigative journalist, she digs in. So she got information from Jason, her friend, and her roommate about some frat parties that have been going on on the campus. And she starts going. And she almost always attends with Jason and one of his good friends named Brian who went by the nickname Beech.
1: Oh, okay. His name was,
0: I know. His name was Brian Jones. And so it's like BJ. Mm -hmm. Okay. After going to some of these parties and asking around, Brooke actually finds out the name of the alleged rape victim. And she met with her and is like, I want to tell your story. Like I hear what happened to you and I care about it and people need to know. And I want to tell your story. So as you can imagine, the brothers, got wind of Brooke asking around and like poking into their business and they didn't like it. So they began to threaten Brooke. They would leave messages on her door. They would like threatening messages on her door. They would send her emails telling her to stop digging, like leave it alone. Hmm. One of the emails said, um, quote, if you know what's good for you, you'll keep your mouth shut or we'll shut it permanently.
1: Oh my gosh. They sound like mafia.
0: (laughs) well i mean mm-hmm. fraternity yeah i mean sh- yeah so eventually this victim alleged victim um she even said she couldn't talk to brooke anymore because she was afraid so oh wow it's assumed that probably she was being threatened as well so brooke remember is living with a member of a person who's in a fraternity jason and because she was being threatened she was like you know what Everybody knows where I live. They're always around here all the time. I'm feeling threatened. I'm moving out. I'm getting a different place. So she finds another place that she feels safer in. And um, it's about a half block off campus. So it's like essentially across the street from campus. And her new landlord was actually a campus security officer. Hmm. So because of all this, she starts to feel a little bit better, a little bit safer. But she does not let up. On the story. She continues to pursue this alleged rape story aggressively, despite the threats. Her friends get concerned about this and they kind of bring it up. The professor, who is like the head of the school newspaper, warns her, like, Look, Brooke, you need to be careful. Her mom is very worried about her, but Brooke said that if she can save one girl from being a victim, then it was worth it to her. Wow. Yeah, she's nineteen, by the way. Gosh, yeah. She's... Right. So Brooke continues to pursue her studies. She continues to pursue this investigative journalist career and this particular story. She kind of starts an on again, off again relationship with a boy named Steve. He really liked her, but she and she liked him and she hung out with him, but she really was dedicated to her goals and her school and the paper and she kind of had a hard time putting anything before it so like she put him off a lot I think he liked her a lot more than she liked him or he invested a lot more I think Mm -hmm. than she did Um, and her best friend was kind of her brother Braun so like he was her younger brother but he lived in town he came to visit her all the time and stayed there and she liked it when he would come and stay because you know she was kind of freaked out by like all these threats and stuff that she was getting and you know, so she felt better with having him there. So on September 7th of 19 seven, 1997, which was a Sunday, Brooke's brother comes over to hang out with her. He has his own key to her apartment, so he lets himself in. And he hears water running in the bathroom. So he hollers, you know, that he's there. But he assumes hollers. that... <laughs> Hello. Sorry. <laughs> sorry but he, i don't know if ron hollers but you know okay and he assumes that brooke is just in the shower so he sits down on the couch hangs out but after a while he's there for a super long time and she doesn't come out so he goes and knocks on the bathroom door well the bathroom door is open and brooke's not in there but the is no. running so he's like okay weird so he goes walking back through the apartment and goes back to Brooke's bedroom and he finds her laying on the bed. So as he gets closer, he realizes Brooke's not moving. Oh my gosh. lips so flips the light on and the room is covered in blood. Oh <gasps> No, my so gosh. He sees Brooke and realizes that she is dead. Oh gosh. He calls the police immediately. The call comes in at about 9.30 that night, and Brooke is pronounced dead at 19 years old. So the police come. They begin investigating the crime scene. There is, like I said, massive amounts of blood everywhere in Brooke's room. There's no forced entry, and there's nothing missing. So no one broke in. And there was no blood anywhere else in the apartment. It's in It's. It's in the bedroom. Not mm-hmm. yes, there is blood other places, but, but he not didn't there. notice that when he like walked into the apartment. Correct, correct. Okay, um, very clear signs of a struggle though in Brooke's room. Like the whole room is in shambles. Things off the wall. Things knocked down, knocked over. Brooke was found lying on her bed. She was fully nude, and she had been bu- brutally raped. She had bruising on her thighs and her arms, and she had been stabbed 11 times in the back and twice in the chest. So her Mm -hmm. cause of death was ruled multiple stab wounds, and it was obviously ruled a homicide. The police found some bloody towels in the bathtub. The water was left running, and there was a bottle of bleach beside the bathtub. Okay, they also found water in the kitchen sink, so the kitchen sink was completely filled up with water, and there were two empty bottles of dishwashing liquid, like floating in the top. So the police kind of dig through the sink to see what was in there, and they found a bloody kitchen knife that was bent oh. and this knife, oh. but it was like at the bottom of the sink, like kind of under some other things. But this kitchen knife was determined to be the murder weapon. Most important, How did they get bent? Well, from attacking her. Gosh. Right. Um, Most importantly, though, they found DNA under Brooke's fingernails. And they also found semen on Brooke's body. So Brooke's estimated time of death was sometime late Saturday night which was the September 6th or early Sunday morning se- Sunday the 7th which is the day that her brother found her. So we know that 90% of murders in the US 90% of murder victims in the US know their killer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So police now need to figure out who Brooke knows. So they begin questioning everybody. They learned that the night of September 6th, which was Saturday, Brooke had been at a frat party. Brooke left the party on her own, but nobody really knows what time she left the party because, I mean, frat party. Everybody drunk? Right. <laughs> and it's assumed that she went home. So police tested Brother Braun's DNA, no match. They then call up her boyfriend, Steve, because as we know, That's normally the first, Mm you know, suspect. No match. They then learn of the issues with the fraternity brothers and Brooke's investigation of this alleged rape and that she had been threatened by some of these members. So they test the members of the fraternity that were known to have threatened Brooke. No matches. They also think that it probably isn't a likely scenario that it was one of the frat members because there was no forced entry at all. Nobody broke in. There's no way that Brooke would have let any of these frat members that were threatening her into her home willingly. So they kind of think that's probably not a likely lead. So they then learn by interviewing some friends of hers that Brooke was having issues with her landlord. Apparently, her landlord, if you remember, was a security officer at the campus, and he was known to be a kind of creepy dude, especially when it came to females, and Brooke had told some of her family members and some of her friends that he would just show up to her apartment unannounced, saying that he needed to, like, spray for bugs or was checking up on things, or, like, there were times that she would come home and he would just be there. A oh, weird. Saying that he was like, oh, I need to fix the shower. So they thought, okay, this is a likely suspect. He would have a key. He could let himself mm-hmm. in. So they interviewed him. They tested his DNA. No match. Oh, wow. By the time the police had followed every lead, they had done over 400 interviews and tested over 50 people's DNA with no matches. Wow. And this is a small town, remember, and a small town. College, So that's a lot of freaking people. Mm -hmm. So all they knew was that she probably knew her killer and that her killer was a male. But with that information, the case goes cold. Oh, gosh. Meanwhile, the whole small town is terrified, thinking that there is a murderer on the loose. So they hold candlelight vigils where hundreds of people attend. The whole town was in mourning. Because Brooke is one of them, right? So she grew up in this town and continued her education in this town. So the whole entire town is absolutely freaked out. Brooke's parents push to keep Brooke's case at the forefront of everyone's mind. But years go by. So I'll tell you what happens after the break. Okay, almost two years after Brooke's murder, the police get a break. On July 5th of 1999, police get a report of a missing Vincent's University student, 21-year-old Erica Norman. Stay with me. I'm entering Mm, a new person here. Mm -hmm. Police went to her off-campus apartment, and the scene was gruesome. There was blood everywhere, clear signs of a struggle— But again, no forced entry, nothing missing or stolen, and the bathtub was running.
1: Oh, is this the signature? Is this the wet bandits from Home Alone? (laughs) Yes, I thought
0: the same thing. Thank God you said that. I literally thought the same thing. Okay. (laughs) Police and Vincent's were... Totally freaked out, right? So they just knew in their gut that Brooke's killer had something to do with whatever was going on at Erica Norman's apartment. But Erica wasn't there. Mm -hmm. They didn't find anybody in the apartment. So they don't know if Erica is alive or dead. I mean, they know she was badly injured because Mm -hmm. there's blood everywhere. But... Okay, so they begin to question everyone who knew Erica. They trace her last steps to the night of July 3rd at a local, like, restaurant bar called C.W. Dandies. Witnesses place Erica there until pretty late in the night, and they also saw her leaving with a guy named Brian Jones, who Beach? went by the nickname Beach. <laughs>
1: Which also, sorry, I didn't mention this earlier, but it it entered my head. Deej. Remember DJ Tanner? They would call her Deej. Full
0: House. <laughs> yeah. Course. Yes. So, Deej.
1: Like, Makes sense. Anyways, go ahead.
0: Oh, it was probably during the same <laughs> the late 90s, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the police go and pick up Brian. And they bring him in for questioning. Now, Brian cooperates. He tells police that he was with Erica the night before at the restaurant. That he did take her home and that they started to watch a movie and Erica fell asleep on the couch. He put a blanket on her and then left around four o'clock in the morning. Brian is being questioned for Erica's disappearance. They don't have Erica's body, right, to tie him to anything. And he knows that. Is the blood for sure Erica's? Like, do they know that? The blood in her apartment is hers, yes. Okay, okay. Right, okay what he has no idea of is that the police are also linking him to brooks murder from almost 2 years ago oh, because and they the do have and they Her body. do have dna from brooks body mm. brooks body so this dumbass sorry mom mm-hmm. gives police permission to search his apartment and his car Police find some spots of blood on a pair of Brian's sneakers, and they also find some blood in the trunk of his car. He also Ooh. gives them DNA samples. Mercy. <laughs> Police immediately run the sample against the DNA collected from Brooke's body, and boom! Beege is a match. So he is immediately Holy. arrested for the first degree murder of Brooke Baker. Wow. DNA results also come back on the blood that was found in Brian's truck and on his sneakers, and they are a match to Erica Norman. And two weeks after his arrest in Brooke's case, a farmer finds the body of Erica Norman in a cornfield. Oh, gosh. Brian pled guilty to Erica's murder. Okay. So he said, yep. I killed her. You've got the DNA. It's on my shoes. It's in my car. I killed her. He received 60 years in prison. In exchange Mm -hmm. for pleading guilty to Erica Norman's murder, the prosecution could not seek the death penalty in Brooke Baker's case.
1: Oh, goodness. What?
0: Brooke Baker's case went to trial. Hmm. Brian denies any involvement in the murder of Brooke. But isn't his DNA under her fingernails? And her semen. And their semen. His semen, not her semen, obviously. (sighs) Yes. Okay. So the prosecution presented a case where they believe that Brian was at the frat party with Brooke. He took her home. He tried to have sex with her. She refused. Fought him. He raped her and killed her. He tried to clean up. He bleached the towels. Put them in the bathtub left the water running to get rid of it, his DNA off of that, put the knife in the sink, put a bunch of soap in it to try to rid DNA from that. He was also seen following the days after Brooks' murder with scratches on his face. Okay. Interestingly, right after Brooks' murder, Beige left town.
1: And they didn't think that was weird? Like, I mean, they were friends or she was... It well, was he a wasn't a
0: suspect right? at the point he at that point, he mm-hmm. was just a friend of a friend of right. a friend. So, like, yeah. I mean, he just happened to not be one of the 52 people that they tested the DNA because he wasn't in town. So, okay. like, he was absolutely not on their radar. In any way.
1: All right. So I know you maybe you're getting to this, but like, so they have this theory of what he did. Clearly. Did he say why he killed Erica? Like, he admitted to that. Did he say the reason why?
0: Well, they, he never did, no. But okay. the reason they believe was very similar. They were at this restaurant or bar. Mm. They were drinking. He took her home. He tried to have sex with her. She refused. He raped her. He murdered her. He just didn't leave okay. the body that time. Okay. Okay. Okay, so on December 14th of 2000, the jury deliberated for eight hours and unanimously found Brian guilty of Brooke's murder. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Well, hallelujah. In addition to the 60 years that he had gotten for Erica Norman's murder. Okay. Right. So police are blown away. By Brian's action and how these two cases had tied together so it was literally because he left the bathtub running that the police connected Brooke and Erica's murders right <laughs> like he was caught by a bathtub and what's weird is this blew me away okay he left town after Brooke's murder so he murdered Brooke left the bathtub running and then leaves town then he comes back to the same tiny town at the same small university and commits the same exact murder and leaves the bathtub running. If he had killed somebody in whatever town he went to and left the bathtub running, they would have never connected these murders. Right. Exactly. The only reason they connected it is because it was the exact same investigators investigating them.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. What an idiot.
0: Like, what an idiot. Okay. And the investigators to this day still say that they truly believe that had they not caught him, he would have become a serial killer.
1: And would have gone on
0: to kill more people. So, he's currently serving his time in an Indiana prison. So, a little bit about Erica Norman because... I know most of the story was about Brooke, but she was also a victim of Brian's. Um, she was born Erica Elaine Norman. She was born on November 13th, 1977 in Crawfordsville, Indiana. She had three siblings who she loved very much. She was very beautiful, smart. She was athletic. She was involved in the drama club and the science club. She played softball and she did gymnastics. She was a really... um active member in her church and was a member of one of the Vincent's university sororities. She loved her friends and her family and her dog Smokey hmm. and her nickname was Ricky. Which is so cute. Okay. Now back to our listener, Olivia, who suggested the case.
1: Oh yes. I want Olivia, to know her involvement.
0: <laughs> yes. She also went to Vincent's university and worked on the campus newspaper, The Trailblazer. Oh, wow. Same time or no? Not during the same No, time. not the same time. Okay. This was like more recent, 2018-ish. Olivia had never heard of Brooke's case. Oh. In 2018, she and some of her fellow students went to a conference for the Indiana Collegiate Press Association. And while they were there, there was an award given called the Brooke Baker Indiana Collegiate Journalist of the Year. Oh, there's an award. There's an award. This award itself is a very high honor, and it's um, given to collegiate-level journalists for investigative journalism, which is what Brooke was best known Mm -hmm. for. The professor that presented the award at the time that Olivia was at the conference was the same one that worked with Brooke at the Trailblazer at the time that she was murdered. And he told Brooke's story when he was giving the award and like what the award meant and what it meant to him. Oh. So that is the first time that Olivia had heard Brooke's story. So she asked her current journalism professor why nobody talked about this story. And her professor just told her that Brooke's murder was a really dark time and the college's history and that everyone really was like scarred by it and had a hard time discussing it. Olivia then began researching Brooke's case and she really wanted her story to be told. And that is why she reached out to us. Oh, how cool. Isn't that wow. awesome? So, thank you, Olivia, for being a victim advocate for someone who believed in victim advocacy and for helping yes. Brooke and Erica's story to be heard. I freaking love it. Yes. Oh,
1: that's so awesome. Isn't that I cool? love it too. Yes. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you, Olivia. We really appreciate that.
0: Love it. She's very sweet, and she sent me this sweet picture of them at the conference. And she is oh. a very fabulous, awesome lady. So, are you allowed to share that picture? You don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I should ask her. Yeah. Yeah. Send her.
1: Send her a little note.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I loved this case, and I really loved her connection to it, and her heart to reach out and just wanting her story to be told and wanting us to tell it, which is super awesome.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is awesome. Because, you know, I mean, I love getting case suggestions in general, but, like, to have somebody that's, like, actually in some way connected and there's a reason that you want us to tell it is, like, even better than just, like, oh, hey, can you tell us this story,
0: please? (laughs) Yeah, super great. So that is great story. She was a real boss
1: yeah no kidding super sad that uh her life had to end so soon because she probably would have gone on to do some good things
0: ah agreed her reporting i would have read about her in rolling stone at the beach
1: i know we would have been probably most likely reporting on articles that she read wrote i mean
0: right i know <laughs> like yeah olivia did say too that the campus like the college um Newspapers has some of her notes and like writing still. Oh. Oh, But she's never seen them. Mm. Wow. 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 Well,
1: thanks for bringing that story to us, Olivia. And thank you, Beth, for looking into it and telling us that story. Cheers. was Yes. Cheers. I'm not cheersing with anything, but cheers. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, gosh, well. Thanks for listening, and if you like that one, please let us know, and also let us know if you've got a story that you want us to tell, or that you're connected with, or whatever, anything. We want the suggestions. We love the suggestions, and we love telling you these stories. I think I have more fun with this than most things. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. It's a lot of work (laughs) at times. And like, I always feel like I'm cramming to get it done, but then it's like, it's always just fun to do it and sit here and talk about it. So anyways, we want to keep doing it for you. So help us out by giving us some suggestions and always um, find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, all of those, Twitter and, and send us an email if you get a chance, closets at gmail.com and always rate and review, please. We love seeing it. Review two, right? We want the reviews because yeah, you have to write a ratings, review. Come in and we're like, What? We got a three? Why? Tell us why. Can you it's guys believe we have one three? <laughs> one three. <laughs> and it's fine. Just tell us why. Just be like, Hey, I don't like the way you joke. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just give us a reason. <laughs> Let us know. So it's fine, but we can handle it. But, anyways, right and review. And also always remember, the world is scary, people suck. Hide in your closets.